Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, you are very welcome to The Tonight Show. Coming up, as thousands descend on leash for their ploughing championships, despite weather warnings, we ask if farmers bear too much responsibility when it comes to climate change in Ireland. I would say not so much anger, but there's a lot of frustration and worry. I think farmers have been asked to do massive amounts over the last number of years. Unparalleled in Irish medical history, HSE orders an external review as concerns are raised after serious spinal surgical incidents were identified at Temple Street Children's Hospital. Ghastly in its impact. Um, we have been uh, consulted by a number of families who have been involved in this and uh, their children have been victims. Plus, as world leaders take to the stage to address the UN General Assembly in New York, President Michael D. Higgins calls into question the credibility of the organisation. At the Ploughing Championships earlier today, President Michael D. Higgins warned of multiple crises facing the world and called for drastic action to combat the perils of climate change. This comes as Minister for Agriculture Charlie McConnell has come under fire after nitrate derog derogation was reduced by 30 k's by the European Commission. But are farmers too frequently the target of climate regulations? Well, our reporter Paul Quinn spoke to several farmers today for us at the Ploughing Championships. I would say not so much anger, but there's a lot of frustration and worry. I think farmers have been asked to do massive amounts over the last number of years. The Climate Action Plan, the Green Deal and the Farm to Fork from Brussels, even our programme from government, all of these are challenges for farmers, but farmers will embrace them if we're given the right avenues and the right pathways to lead that change. Like, just little things we, I think we forget. We're the number one lowest carbon emitter in the world for dairy and number four for beef. Like, that doesn't happen by accident. Look, at, we're working off of as a near to organic as possible system, and yet we get a commercial price. And these things are topical, people grab onto headline issues, you know, and they, they concentrate on them without looking beneath uh, the bonnet, under the bonnet, as the fellow says. And I mean, you know, it's, 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 it takes time to transition and what we are looking for is a fair crack at the I think the mood is very, very low among, particularly among Tilly's farmers, is very, very low. And this derogation, the talk of more derogation problems, uh, you know, they, they see their, the, the land slipping away from them. That's the, the, the reality of it. I think there's a one-sided view, if I'm being 100% honest. We know the targets of how much emissions we release. We're still very confused as a country, and I think a lot of people do not understand. Farmers are the only people that have the ability to sequester carbon. Well, joining me in studio to discuss this further are Finney Gale, MEP, Colin Markey, Special Correspondent with the Irish Examiner, Mick Clifford, Independent TD, Michael Fitzmaurice, 
Farmers Journal Deputy Editor, Katrina Morrissey, and Chief Executive of Friends of the Earth, Oshin Cochran. You are all very welcome to the programme. I want to start with you because one of the big issues, uh, as one of the um, farmers in our Vox mentioned there, was this issue around nitrates. It's really turned into a little bit of a political football at this point. There's clearly a lot of anger about it. We have a little bit more understanding as to how this is going to impact farmers now. Can you bring us through that? Yeah, so I suppose what we have at the moment is farmers know that the derogation is going to be cut from 250 to 220. There is what's known as the red map, which denotes the areas in Ireland that will be cut to 220. But there is still some areas that need to be clarified. So we believe that further areas of the country will turn from white to red in this map. That will mean that those farmers will be subject to a wildly different stocking rate on their farms, which will obviously have income implications, but also farm management implications for them. And what has turned them from white to red? Katrina? So it's water quality. So it was a criteria that was agreed with the European Commission and the Irish uh, water quality standards were not met that were agreed with the European Commission. There has obviously been lots of debate in recent days about whether that uh, decision is open for revisiting. Minister Charlie McConnell today is saying absolutely not. Um, Fine Gael seems to have suggested in the last week to 10 days that that may be possible. But Minister for Agriculture, Charlie McConlogue, absolutely resolute today at the Ploughing Championship saying, no way, that's not going to be, that's not going to happen. OK, and we're going to get to the politics of that in a minute, but just to sort of stick to the issue, I suppose, that seems to be angering farmers. Michael, only three countries in Europe received this derogation. The derogation actually remains for Ireland, albeit at lower limits and just for certain parts of Ireland, where, as Katrina pointed out, the criteria that were agreed upon have not been met. Is any of what I've just said there false? No. Uh, for the simple reason it has been made a political football over the last week. We, Our Commission on Agriculture uh, were out with the European Commissioner. Um, I saw tweets going. I don't tweet myself, but I saw tweets going. Um, I heard commentary on the different farming uh, newspapers. Um, and it is sad to say that farmers are being misled for the simple reason the decision has been made in Europe. We sent over a report. That report, when the science people looked at it and the legal people looked at it, we met the commissioner and he said the 250 is gone for the red area. Now, and do you agree I don't with know, that? I don't know. Well, <laughs> I don't agree with the system of testing because I believe that you should be testing water more than once a year. I see that Chagas has done research in Timahoe or Timalee and it is given, that's going to be one of the white areas, I understand, now I'm open to correction, um, where it's monitored every single day. And I noticed that the way it's been done, I would, I've asked the minister, because he has been in last, last week, and in fairness to him, he had no, and like to be very popular for me to say, well, the minister is at fault. He had no say in it for the simple reason. A commissioner made the decision. It was made in Brussels. There is areas. There is areas. There is areas going to be in white, going, uh, but there'll be very small areas, in my opinion. And I'll be very clear here as well. From what I heard out there that day, and I think Jackie Cahill was there with me, Tim Lumber was there with me, and Paul Daly. And I think we got a clear message that Ireland, and I would advise farmers, farming organisations, and politicians to start working now to make sure that the 220 is preserved, or if they don't, the feeling I get that Europe is a change place. Okay, it's, so about just be clear. it's about environment. And on top of that, they also told us that the new cap 
would be starting to be renegotiated. I think farmers need okay, to just hear so I, the okay, truth. Just to be clear, um, because I think some people might be a bit surprised at this, Michael, that you seem to be agreeing with the idea. Look, at, there are areas in Ireland that do need to lose tisn't, that t- higher derogation. Are you accepting that the water Kira, quality doesn't Kira, whether need... I agree with it or oh, no, not. I think it is, no, because no, a lot no, of farmers no, no, disagree no, no. with be clear, this idea. Be clear on this. It's not whether I agree with it or not. I have no say in it. Politicians. What is just your, be, what is your just position? Be, just be clear. Ah, no, just be clear. No, Michael. There's plenty Kira, of things that Kira, you don't have a say in. Just be clear on this. Just be clear on this. No politician. Or there, what happened was the EPA sent out their report. They're monitoring from 2020 to the end of 2022. The decision was made in Europe by unelected bureaucrats and a commissioner, and that word was transferred back to Charlie McGonagall. That's what happened. Politicians can trump themselves up that they've done this, that, and the other. That's the facts of what happened. Okay. Why does this need to happen, Oshin? Because we shouldn't lose sight of what the purpose of this is. And it's not a surprise. It isn't news. This directive is 30 years old and it's about preserving water quality. And we were allowed to put more polluting pollution onto our fields than other countries because we say it won't actually reach the water. We have longer grass and longer growing seasons and it'll protect the water. Unfortunately, the facts show otherwise. The science shows otherwise. We, are, we have very polluted waters. A half of our rivers, a third of our lakes, two-thirds of our estuaries are so polluted as to be deemed unhealthy under the criteria that we all agreed to 30 years ago in the directive. So it's not a surprise. And the Commission's decision is based on, on an agreement from, two, I think, from, I think that from 18 months ago. Half of our rivers are stable. A third of our rivers are pristine, or are, 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 are half, the other half is, is good, and, uh, and the other half has gone backwards. That's the facts. Let's not give the bad story of what farmers have done either because they've made a lot of sacrifice. And let's look at the way that this has been done. Let's go down the road and look, look, at, science, look at Leitrim. Michael, I didn't interrupt how you. Many, how many derogation farmers is in Leitrim? One. And Leitrim has the red map over it. Okay. You tell me what's going wrong there. Okay. Just well, let you back the, in there. The EPA has done the monitoring. We could maybe do more monitoring, but the, 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 it's been very clear over the last Once 10 years. Year. And all, you know, all of the political representatives have the same access to the information. All of the other stakeholders were at all the same science conferences and all the same fo- stakeholder forums as the environmentalists were, where the science was showing clearly year after year that things were not improving. So the, you know, the lights have been flashing, the red lights and the orange lights have been flashing for a number of years. It's not surprised that at some point the Commission would have to say, we can't keep giving you special treatment if you aren't performing in terms of pollution and water quality. Yeah, so it's no surprise. It is a fair point, isn't it? We could have held on to this higher derogation if the water had improved. Well, the criteria was agreed. So once the EPA testing found that it didn't meet the criteria, that was effectively a done deal over in Europe. I suppose uh, there is what farmers are feeling at the minute is uh, they're really, really unhappy about the speed of the change. So we're 12 weeks out from this cut from 250 to 220. There's about 3,000 farmers affected by that directly. There are many more affected by it indirectly. Yeah. OK, just very quickly. Just, just very quickly. I, I, want to I, I, I agree with that. And I think but that's an issue that the Irish government and the farm organisations should have been working on for the last 18 months since the, the, the decision was taken with the Commission about this. In, in, in fairness, OK, okay. No, no, I just want to get to my rest of my panel. In fairness to the Commissioner, he did say that Ireland has to... Uh, send back basically documents by the end of the 30th of September. And this is where there is cows now in calf. They're going to be calf in next spring. We have to look at animal welfare. We have to, and the one worry in this, this is the worry I have, a big worry. The farmer on the 60, 70, 80 cows, the family farm, won't be fit to take land in other parts of the country to hold those cows. It's so it's, big, it's a timing, it's, it's a timing no, issue. But it's the big guy 
that's going to be fit to go some parts of the country that will have the money in their pocket to be able to take the land. Okay. And the small guy won't be fit to do. I want to talk about the politics of this, Colin Markey, because this has been really interesting to watch. The Taoiseach saying last week that he was going to write to the EU Commissioner on Agriculture. He certainly seemed to give a very clear impression to the lobby groups representing farmers that this decision was open to renegotiation. And now you have Charlie McConnell, Fianna Foyle, coming out and saying, crystal clear evidence, not open to renegotiation. Did the Taoiseach give farmers false hope? No, I don't think the Taoiseach give farmers false hope at all. I think the reality is the commissioner had indicated that he wanted to achieve this without the slaughter of animals or the reduction of animal numbers. And I think that that's what, what people are focused in on and how this could be done, what, if you like, measures... No, no, could... I've listened to a lot of discussion over this and was very clear listening to the IFA and the ISC, uh, ICMSA who were saying this is open for renegotiation. This cut from 250 down to 220. That's the impression they got from the Taoiseach's comments. No, I was in the room with the Taoiseach when, the, when he met the farm organisations. I also met with the commissioner myself and it was quite clear that whatever changes had, would come would be within the existing framework. So the existing framework is where we're at the 220. The question is where... where so the 220 is not open for renegotiation. I think That's Fine there, there, position. There's a number of things here. There's a transition period to, to which we can... Uh, to, like, as we say, it's only, it's only less than three months away. The reality is this red map, that we, red and white map we talk about, that's only been put on the table in the last month or two. So people say we knew this for 18 months. People didn't know. Some people are, are okay to continue at 250, potentially under the white areas of this map. Some of the white areas may, may not remain white. So there's still an ambiguity for an individual farmer. They didn't know what their position was going to be. Now we're 12 weeks out. We think for at one level, there needs to be flexibility in terms of the time. At, alongside that, there's all sorts of other smaller considerations around young cows, for instance, how, how, they're, how, they're, uh, uh, how they're calculated, the, the values put on them. Likewise, the ability to export slurry and how that can be done. Okay, so to, you're to saying basically farms. the January 1st uh, deadline, that that's too soon, that that needs to be I think that has to be looked at, number okay. one. Secondly, I think there are a number of other measures in terms of one of the key aspects of this is, is to allow farmers to export slurry, potentially to tillage farms. Tillage farmers could potentially put storage in place to, to accommodate that slurry. There's other things such as methods where you could dewater slurry. And, and okay, okay, so well, I get what so you're saying there, there's a lot of discussion lot to be of, had. There's a lot of discussion. There's okay, also a lot of clarity in relation to mapping and the different, like the point, point Michael makes is correct. So essentially, the EPA does about approximately four tests a year on, on this water. Now, you have to consider that with the agricultural water catchment, six of them in the country. They do tests every 10 minutes for the last six or seven years. And what's clear with that, there's spikes and different uh, variations in, the, in those tests that the, the agricultural catchments have done. So to take four tests a year over two years, is, it wouldn't scientifically stack up in a lot of cases. Okay, I should very quickly just respond years. to that. EPA I think the EPA testing is 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 reliable and credible, and it, there's a trend over think? time here. But I just want to say, okay, okay, okay. okay. I just want to bring in years, not I, over time. It's only over two years. I just want to bring in Mick uh, Clifford here because there's plenty of other issues I want to get to. The, the politics of this, Mick Clifford. Were you surprised by the Taoiseach's comments and what? Has that done for Charlie McConnell's position in all of this? Has he been undermined? Well, I wasn't surprised on the basis of the Taoiseach's record in terms of coming out and saying things that uh, perhaps wouldn't be judiciously thought out. But, uh, I mean, Michael Fitzmaurice put the position, well, this is the way things are. And you can quibble with yeah. the way the EPA have been measuring, but no, 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 nobody quibbled 
with it prior to this. Mm. And, you know, it's pretty reliable one way or the other. And the fact of the matter is the standards are not being met. We're in the EU. There is no way around this. For the Taoiseach to come out and yeah. say that, mm. he was trying to kind of shapes he tends yeah. to been trying in the last number of months, and I think it was very inadvisable. And it did give false hope. To farmers, and it was Good. fishing for a vote. Yeah, and did it? You say fishing for a vote. Is Finnegale concerned about the farmers' vote, given the fact that the research last month showed that the vote for Finnegale from farmers is slipping away? I would think that played into him. No, I think I think about every section, but particularly farmers, because traditionally the big problem in the agricultural sector at the moment is not knowing. One day we're culling, the next day we're not culling. The farmers don't know whether to put money into something or not. We are trying to bring young farmers into farming. And at the moment, mixed messaging is the biggest problem that's out there. Let's, okay, let's well, be, let's, let's, let's just be, talk... Let's be, clear, no, let's be clear what the, what the Taoiseach actually did. The Taoiseach proposed to write to the Commissioner to come to Ireland to see the overall situation of the Gareth. There was already an arrangement there, Colin Markey. There was an arrangement. No, no, to be clear, Colin Markey, the Minister for Agriculture said that was already arranged. Be, be clear about it. The situation is here. There are two games at play here. Number one is people have concerns about the speed in which this new change is coming into effect, and also if, if, if any way it could be, it, it wouldn't hit as hard. The second point is there's a 220 which could be under review in 2026, and we want to begin the groundwork okay. at this stage to make sure we explain what's like. There's an element okay, of no, 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 no. Sorry, Colin Markey. No, I have to give everybody a fair amount of time here. I want to talk about something else that happened at the ploughing today, and that was the president's. Uh, comments where he spoke today about this drastic change that was going to be necessary in people's diets, that he needed to see sort of um, immediate action, sort of this sort of slow change was not going to suffice if we were going to tackle um, the climate change issues that we have. Uh, what was the reaction to the President's comments today, Katrina? Uh, the reaction from farmers, I think, would probably be more focused, less on his diet comments, but he did make some really interesting comments there about farmers needing social support, that they've been led by market inducements through the Common Agricultural Policy and other areas. They have been led by market prices, whether that's for milk, for beef, for sheep meat, whatever. What he did say was that farmers will have to be compensated if they are to be affected by climate change and that they, will, they are willing and if they are willing to change, they must be compensated for it. He mentioned a social support. Mm -hmm. So again, another issue that farmers really feel um, in recent years is that the Common Agricultural Policy budget has been used, is being diverted into environmental measures when actually it was originally meant and should be meant to subsidise the cheap food that is there. And that is where farmers are losing out time and time again because the money is being siphoned over instead of, because farmers are still producing cheap food, but now they're getting the support diverted into environmental measures. Okay, so then is he saying the conversation needs to be about the price we are paying for the food <coughs> as opposed to diet changes? Well, I think he did imply that, we should, that, that we're not paying enough for food given, given the labour and, and the quality of, of what we get. But I, I think what was good about what he said is that he was honest with farmers. He showed leadership about the fact that, as with all sectors of society, we now face a really radical transformation by, by management through, through this transition or else we get one through climate breakdown. And our other political leaders, particularly the Taoiseach, are far less keen to say that. They want to have it both ways still. So like Leo, I think I was giving false hope the other, the other week. His, his brand when he first started was being honest and upfront. He's not doing that now. We need, we need all of the political leaders to be upfront about the fact there's no straight smooth path from here. It's going to be rocky and we have to have the social support. So I agree. Okay, just I, let I, me I know. I'm going to let Mick Clifford back in here. Oh, she's correct, I think, but on the other hand, none 
of the political leaders are being honest about this. And they're not being honest about it because as far as they are concerned, whether it's, it's a perception or a reality, they do not believe that the, the changes that are required, that a big bulk of the public, and particularly the bulk of the public that votes, are prepared to make but those changes. that's why we need leadership, because otherwise, otherwise we I'm get social breakdown I'm, I'm over just time. saying, I, I believe that's why they're not being honest about it. And you're right, we okay. do need leadership, we're not getting it there. OK, but we did see, we did see, I suppose, this tweet, didn't we, went out last month from the EPA, this simple tweet that said, one of the things that needs to be done yeah. is reduce red meat in your diet. Was there political leadership around that tweet? Absolutely not. Hold on, let Mick Clipper speak here, please. The farm organisations that reacted mm. as if the whole of, of the sky had fallen in, that they said this, and you'd know leadership politically, because an organisation like the EPA should have been reassured and they should have stuck to their guns. But quite frankly, I'd imagine they didn't believe that they'd get the political backing they should have, and so they ended up taking it down. The EPA that was tweeted about transport and about yeah. houses and other ways, in the same sort of semi-irreverent yeah. way, and the sky hadn't fallen in. It was very clear that in this case, one sector of society through their representative organisations uh, exercised their power and the EPA caved and it's very disappointing. Yeah. Is that not a fair point? No, it's not a fair point. Oh. The first thing is the EPA uh, should do report or do research but they shouldn't be telling you what you should they or They have should. a behavioural should. change shouldn't, remit. They shouldn't be telling you what you should eat. They didn't say you ha what you had to well, eat. They, they said you could consider it. So basically, but that's, that's the facts. That's, we that's have putting a black and white. I want to make a point here. The EPA and the Department of Agriculture seven months ago commissioned a report uh, from people in Galway to do research on what we needed to sow on forestry, even though for the last five years we weren't able to reach one year's targets. They paid for that report, Kira, knowing that there's a report imminent that, okay. that PT soils is emitting 65% less and that methane right. in, ca in certain cattle is okay, 25 to 30%. And, and we can come back so to that issue. So how have they credibility when they've done that? We can come back to that issue, but we'll just stick to the tweet in hand. Where are they right to take down that tweet. Why did they feel they, they never needed have to bow to, take it down. to uh, political lobby? It does that speak to a farming lobby that is just too strong they in this country? They should never have put it up to take it and down. They I think they should never have put it up in the first place. The reality is they're an independent body who's provided by, to, there to analyse the, the water and, and the environment as a whole. That's a political decision. It's a political... There's nothing political there. It's within their brief to offer general advice in relation to the environment. You pollute less if you eat less meat. It's just factual. You Not just, correct if you've been melons that, from America. On, do you accept that we need to eat less meat, I think, less red meat? I think red meat is a part of, the, uh, of a balanced diet. I, I'm in favour of, absolutely in favour of eating red meat. If you look no, at okay, the... Okay, no, 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 that's not the question I asked, concern, yeah. Market. That's yes. not the question I, I asked. I said, do you think we need to reduce our red meat intake? We need to ensure that there's enough protein in the diet across right. society, and red meat is a key is, part of protein. Do you know what? Is if this you not... try and do a plant-based protein diet, it doesn't stack up. There's not ah, enough. come on. It is not really. They, they, they did not say go to a plant-based diet. They said you could one way that you could reduce your pollution is to reduce your red meat intake. That is perfectly factual. There's no, there's no controversy over it, and they took it down because they, they, they were into The first thing you would want to talk about is how efficient we are at doing something. Do we okay. want a certain country? To increase no, no, hold on, hold on. And, and right, to okay, increase our national time herd folks, by four times time our folks. herd while we eat. Yeah, so if we eat less meat, then they won't cut down the Amazon. Yes, they will, because meat should be eaten all over the world. Get rid right. of it. Look, we're going to have to leave that there for now, unfortunately, because there's clearly still more in that conversation. But we will come back to it. My thanks to Michael Fitzmaurice, to Katrina Morrissey, and to Oshin Cochlehan. We will see you after these. 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You're very welcome back. Well, the HSC has ordered an external review relating to surgeries carried out in Temple Street Children's Hospital as serious spinal surgical incidents were identified in which one child died. Fine Gael MEP Colin Markey and journalist Mick Clifford have stayed with me. And joining them is parent Jessie Donnelly, whose daughter Rosie is awaiting surgery, and Una Keitley, co-founder of Spina Bifida and Hydrocephalus Paediatric Advocacy. You are very welcome to the programme. Uh, Mick, this is very complicated uh, surgery, and in some ways it's a very complicated story. In other ways, it really isn't. These are children in desperate need of orthopaedic care in this country who have been failed once, if not twice. Yes, very much so. Kira failed in the first instance because of the lengthy waiting lists and, and you can just only imagine the kind of trauma that's inducing in, in, in families in general, but failed here because at the very least there seems to be a complete lack of clinical governance. I mean, something obviously went wrong uh, there obviously was not checks and balances in place. When you see, for instance, in, I think it was in three cases, a phrase like unauthorised devices used, you know, you immediately have to wonder what exactly was going on. Notwithstanding, very possible, if not probable, the best of intentions were there. That is not the issue. The issue is clinical governance and the fact that this was able to go on and appears to have gone on over a protracted period. Um, speak to me, Jesse, about your daughter, your eight-year-old daughter, uh, Rosie, she was born with spina bifida? Yep, that's right. Yeah, Rosie was born with spina bifida and is attending CHI since she was born eight years ago. Um, she has also developed scoliosis in the last couple of years. And um, yeah. She's had surgery on her limbs, isn't that right? Yeah. On her lower limbs. Yeah, so she's had multiple orthopedic surgeries um, in the lead up to, to now. Um, and what is she in need of now? So she is now in need of um, an intervention for her scoliosis. Um, she has it has deteriorated quite quickly in the last year and a half, um, to the point that we we need this surgery done and we need it done sooner uh, rather than later. And for people who don't know what this looks like, what impact this has on a child, can you describe that for me? So I suppose it is. Really, it's her, her posture. It it starts with the posture. It can then lead leads to pain. It leads to uh, lung issues. Um, all all of that. 
Now, she last saw an orthopaedic surgeon 18 months ago. Yeah. She needs an appointment with an orthopaedic surgeon. Isn't that right? Yeah. In order to confirm that she can be put on a waiting list in order to have the surgery. Yeah. So the um, the waiting list that of the amount of children that are waiting on the surgery that you hear now, Rosie's not even included on that list because we haven't actually met an orthopaedic surgeon to put her onto that list because um, the orthopaedic surgeon we would have dealt with, we have we have we just haven't met him in eighteen months now. Okay, so this I suppose paints a picture um, of what it is like to be a, a parent of a child in this country who might need this particular orthopaedic uh, treatment. So how did you feel then when you heard of these very serious surgical incidents that appear to have taken place at uh, Temple Street Hospital? Well, I suppose initially we were shocked. Um, we found out through the media, I suppose it was, it was terrifying for all of the families um, with kids with spina bifida in the country. We ourselves didn't know whether Rosie was affected. We didn't know was she part of this, having had orthopedic surgeries in CHI. And um, it took some time to figure out that she wasn't included because like the communication from CHI is, is it's, it's not there. Um, and we have, we've had this issue before with CHI. This isn't the first time we've had communication issues with, with them. Um, Una, you set up your group back in 2017, am I right? Yeah. Why did you set up that group? Um, we could see that things were deteriorating, um, you know, countrywide um, for children with spina bifida and hydrocephalus in, within Ireland. And um, we kind of came together as a group of parents just to lobby the government and to meet with CHI, um, you know, to try and improve things and give our suggestions and to have this open dialogue and communication back and forward to CHI to try and improve things. So what has the reaction been, I suppose, to this news coming from CHI that there is um, serious surgical incidents have happened there that are currently the subject of an external review? Yeah, well, this is our third slash fourth review here because um, when myself and Amanda, um, the other co-lead, met with CHI and they informed us there was going to be a review. So first there was an internal review done by Temp Street mm -hmm. and then there was an external review done uh, by Boston. And then we asked why is CHI Crumlin not included? And they said CHI Crumlin are going to do the internal review. We said um, at the time when we heard about Boston, um, we said that, you know, the National Independent Review Panel guidelines for reviews say that the patient should be centre and the patient's voice should be there. None of the parents involved were interviewed. So where is the patient voice? absent. Um, there was a 74% increase in post-op complications identified by their internal report. So when the crew came over from Boston, CHI wasn't included. But for some reason, this review team from Boston didn't look inside a theatre in CHI Temple Street. Um, they didn't look at equipment, they didn't look at instruments, they didn't look at sterilisation like processes. They went on a little jaunt over to CHI Crumlin, which wasn't included, and they got the hard hats on and got the, the view of the new children's hospital. Okay, so you, you're obviously in no way satisfied with the Absolutely work that they carried not. out. In terms of the concerns that perhaps parents who have children who'd been through surgery um, through CHI, those concerns were raised, weren't they? You raised those concerns last year. You were had yeah. questions over the number of readmissions 
for yeah. complications caused by surgery. So in June 2022, myself and Amanda, again, we emailed uh, senior management within CHI. We got a response, so they definitely got the email, and we said that there had been a sharp increase in the number of spina bifida children um, admitted to high dependency units, um, ICU, and with post-op complications, which is contradictory to some of the information in this whitewash of a report that CHI have, have insulted parents by they, the parents involved in the cases were promised that they get a full review and a full report of what has happened. There was apparently 80 recommendations um, uh, that, that were identified. They aren't in this report. Where are they? How can anyone with the child with spina bifida sign on the dotted line to consent their child for a procedure when we have no idea what was uncovered? Uh, have you spoken to any of the parents uh, of the children who were impacted by this and yeah. how are they? Uh, they're devastated, absolutely devastated. They're sick to their stomachs that once again we are back here absolutely berating the government and CHI to care for our children and I don't want to hear this gibberish, oh we're going to send them abroad. The equipment our children need for a week's holiday, you'd need two high ace vans to put in it. They're on ventilators, they have wheelchairs, they have electric wheelchairs, they come with batteries, you get in a plane, the wheelchair could be battered from the wheel of it, you can't push it when you get off. The other thing is it's not that simple to move these children when they have, we have expertise in Ireland in, with spina bifida. We've been doing this for years. We have the highest rate of spina bifida in the world. Solve this problem once and for all and stop using our children as absolute guinea pigs. I'm just wondering, uh, Jessie, if let's say, miracle upon miracles, you got an appointment mm -hmm. uh, with an orthopaedic surgeon uh, to see Rosie who agreed, yes, she needed this surgery and she put her on her waiting list and lo and behold, there's an appointment next week. Mm -hmm. Clearly never going to happen. But let's just say that could happen. And we're just looking at lovely Rosie there now. Would you be confident with the treatment not. that she's going to receive? No, we'd be terrified, beyond terrified. Like, we don't know. We don't know what is in that report. We don't know what has been found. We don't know. Like, it's, it's, it's terrifying. Um, and, and prior to this, you may have had confidence that once your child got into the system, they'd be well treated. That confidence has clearly been shattered. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Colin Markey, this is a real stain in this government, and it's been there for a very, very long time. Look, the, the investigations that are ongoing have to be welcomed, particularly the one from outside the state. I know you said previously that the, the, the Boston people who come over didn't necessarily do an effective job, but I think... No, we, I didn't do... say that. I didn't say that. I said I didn't know why CHI were bringing them on a jaunt around Dublin when they didn't see the inside of a theatre. Yeah, I think the reality is we do need... A, a, there's two investigations ongoing now. We need to get to the bottom of them as quickly as possible. I fully appreciate the, the situation as regards parents. You don't. You have to feel for any parent who, who finds themselves... And the children in this situation and then when you when you get the reports that are coming out now in relation to to a what, what has gone on I suppose the reality is that it's it's nearly impossible to maintain confidence until such time as these investigations are undertaken and we get to the bottom of exactly what is happening and the bigger picture in the longer how long term, is that going to take do you think I, I don't I don't fully know how long it's going to take but I think we have to get it done as quickly as possible and alongside that we do have to invest like I think it's right if we can deliver on the, 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 the surgeries here in Ireland, I think that, that would be the ideal situation. Why have we failed? Okay, these are two separate issues. Yeah. One, the, the serious surgical incidents and the lack of governance that perhaps allowed for those to happen. And second of all, these 
waiting lists that have left children in agony in this country unnecessarily. Why have you been unable, why has the government been unable to, to get on top of that? Well, I think, look, it, it, it's a, as you say, we've, we've the highest level of in, in in the world here in Ireland. So there is a, there is a, a, a need to, if you like, invest more resources in it. I suspect... I, I, 19, I don't... Million. It is, it, 19 million was released last year on top of an additional 4 million euro. The money is being thrown at this. There is absolutely not the, the hunger within CHI, within the HSE, to fix our children. But They're already disabled. Yeah. So what's a bit more disability? That's the attitude. No, no, right, I, okay, I, don't, I, don't, I don't accept that at all in terms of, I don't think that's apps. Well, that's you don't acceptable. have a, you're not a parent of a child with the condition. I so appreciate you, that fully. You, you and can't I can't fully comment appreciate, on, on how we feel about I can it. On, I can only imagine how you feel. I, I can only imagine. I fully understand what you have to deal with and the state has to... No, you do. don't. You haven't a clue. You haven't a clue. How many months did Jessie wait for, or did Rosie wait for her last surgery, Jessie? We waited tw 26 months on a waiting list and... We got. We were so desperate that we ended up presenting to the ED in Temple Street yeah. and sitting there for three weeks. You just wouldn't That's leave. Didn't we you? wouldn't leave. That's three how you weeks. got your appointment. You see, yeah. this is what has always confused me. You look at our health service and you look at the budget for the health service, Mick Clifford, money resourcing. That isn't the problem. It can't be the problem here. So a, what a, is the issue? A huge, a huge element is political will. And every now and again, this is one of the worst scandals of all in terms of what's at issue, particularly children in pain. Every now and again, it arises. There's some talk of an effort, something to be done. Then it, it fades from, like, everything. The media caravan moves on and it fades. And then something else, you wait till it arises again. I don't the most immediate thing, as far as I can see in this, is there needs to be, as quickly as possible, publication of reports that yes, can assure parents that whether or not the system as it currently exists is safe, whether or not the issues that have arisen are down to one individual or whether they're systemic. That's the very most urgent thing that needs to be done. But beyond that, this is the kind of thing that there needs to be continual focus on because otherwise it will and not be addressed. It's arisen before today, and he, it has not been addressed. It's a fair point. This has arisen before. We all remember the case last year of the little boy who spoke on RTE radio about his wait for surgery and the whole country spoke about it and were moved and there was commitments from the Taoiseach this would change. It hasn't clearly happened. But in fairness, as was said, the government have invested the money and they, they've now getting these investigations in place to try and get to the bottom of what happened in this situation. But I think we clearly have to, as was already said, we have to focus on this issue. Resources are only part of the solution. Clearly, the, the, the health service is not delivering in terms of capacity. The, yeah, the, 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 and that, there's a broader that's, issue. That's there. not just a, a political issue. That's to do with the, the governance within the health service as well. And I think we certainly... This issue needs to be addressed urgently. I, I know, I can only try to understand what, what parents are going through, and indeed the children themselves. And it, okay, money, money isn't the solution to every problem. We know that. There's a management issue, surely. And, and then there's a skill shortage, perhaps, issue as well that, that needs to be dealt with as well. So I, 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 I've no doubt, the Taoiseach has indicated today that he's is seriously concerned about it. I've no doubt they'll redouble efforts in relation to this. Funding has been committed, but that hasn't worked. So we have to go right. beyond that. Perhaps this report will show some light on it, but we have to, it's not just, some okay, of these just are not briefly, just Okay, just very briefly, a redoubling of efforts, is that any use to you, Una? Well, I believe uh, Jesse can say it best that the Taoiseach gave a commitment last year. Yeah, last, uh, uh, at the same time as the story of Adam Terry broke, uh, we were actually, um, we had Rosie, uh, Rosie's case brought up in the doll um, at that same week. And the Taoiseach himself, promised that he would personally make sure that Rosie 
was seen to and that he would make sure, you know, we, we'd, we'd get this done. And we never heard one word and Rosie waits from him. And, and she's many still, other children. She sat, she sat and waited, yeah. All right, look, we're going to have to leave that there for now. My thanks to Una and to Jesse for coming in and speak to us about it. Lots more after this break. Back. Well, as President Joe Biden and his Ukrainian counterpart Vladimir Zelensky took to the stage in New York to address the UN General Assembly, our throne, Michael D. Higgins, hit out at the credibility of the historic gathering. Our news correspondent Zara King is here with more on this. So it was at the ploughing today that Michael D. Higgins criticised the UN. He said it is losing credibility. He's quoted the fact that they've been unable to prevent war, unable to prevent famine. How did the Irish delegation respond to that? Do they agree with those sentiments, Sarah? I would say the short answer to that is no, Kira. Uh, the Irish delegation do not agree with that. Um, in fact, the Minister for Foreign Affairs and the Thonish to Michal um, Martin went so far as to say he doesn't know where the world would be without the United Nations. And he cites his trips to um, Africa and the Middle East and says that the work that the United Nations is doing is essential. And he also points to things like the World Food Programme. I think that these are key things that the United Nations uh, is managing to do. So no, they uh, certainly didn't seem to agree with him on that. Um, this isn't the first time that Michael D. Higgins has criticised the United Nations. He made similar comments uh, last year. Uh, it's, he's not the only person to do this, Kira. There's been some uh, criticism of the United Nations that has been accused the General Assembly of being somewhat of a talking shop. Some people have described it as uh, speed dating for diplomats this particular week because it's an opportunity for world leaders to literally bump into each other uh, in the corridor at the uh, General Assembly at the United Nations headquarters. But I uh, certainly know the Irish delegation uh, did not agree with that. Uh, likewise, Eamon Ryan, the Green Party leader, also praised the United Nations for the incredible work that they're doing um, in terms of of providing support to people across the globe uh, in disadvantaged countries. Now, uh, today, the big centrepiece at the United Nations General Assembly, of course, was the address by US President Joe Biden and the address, likewise, uh, of the Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. Ukraine taking centre stage in uh, Joe Biden's remarks today, uh, Kira. He is saying that uh, the world really does need to stand alongside Ukraine uh, in this fight against Russia. He says Russia believes that the world will grow weary and allow it uh, to brutalise Ukraine without consequence. And he goes on to say that if we allow Ukraine to be carved up, is the independence of any nation secure? Let's take a listen to a bit of that speech. We have to stand up to this naked aggression today and deter other would-be aggressors tomorrow. That's why the United States, together with our allies and partners around the world, will continue to stand with the brave people of Ukraine as they defend their sovereignty and territorial integrity and their freedom. Well, today was the first time that Vladimir Zelensky uh, visited the United Nations General Assembly since the war broke out in Ukraine 18 months ago. And he's, uh, I believe, visiting a number of his own men from the front line here in New York uh, during this visit. Some footage uh, from the Washington Post or the Washington Journal, Wall Street Journal, I should say, uh, sharing footage of Vladimir Zelensky visiting uh, some of the people who are receiving treatment at a hospital here in New York who've been on the front line of the war in Ukraine. So uh, making the most of his time here in the United States away from Ukraine. Uh, in that speech today, Zelensky is talking about a number of different things, clearly calling for further support, Kira. And it is clear that uh, Zelensky is concerned that people may have some sort of war fatigue, that they may uh, forget about Ukraine as time passes on. Let's take a listen to some of what he had to say today. 
while nukes remain in place. The mass destruction is gaining its momentum. The aggressor is weaponizing many other things, and those things are used not only against our country, but against all of yours as well. Well, for its part, Ireland today, the Thonisha announcing that we have now further 23 million euro in humanitarian assistance going to Ukraine. And that brings to a total of 210 million assistance from Ireland to Ukraine since the war broke out. Thank you for bringing us the very latest there from the UN General Assembly. King live there in New York. Well, Colin Markey and Mick Clifford have stayed with me. Uh, Mick, what did you make of uh, President Michael Higgins' comments? Well, uh, one thing that struck me about it, Kira, was it seems these days that uh, Michal Martin spends a fair bit of his time maybe counterbalancing comments from either the Taoiseach or the President. But, um, like, he has a point. There's no question about it uh, in terms of, of, of the, the potency or the value of the UN, it has been devalued. And you that, only have to look who didn't arrive to the General Assembly. Precisely, including Rishi Sunak, Emmanuel Macron, and uh, leaders from Russia, from China, you know, the whole thing. So he, he absolutely has a point. Now, the only thing you would say is, and I think in fairness, um, one of them said, those Eamon Ryan or Mian Martin, imagine what the world would be like without the UN, bad and all, as, as things have got. But there's no doubt it could be far more effective. But again, how much of that is down to the change political climate, particularly in the last 10 years, various points right throughout the world? Yeah, I think the, the phrase that uh, Eamon Ryan used, he said, it's the only mechanism that we have for resolving these global issues. It doesn't necessarily mean, though, that it's the right one, Colm. Look, I think in terms of the humanitarian side, like if you if you go to African countries and ask about the contribution the UN has made in terms of disaster relief, in terms of humanitarian aid, in terms of human rights, they, it's well recognised the achievements at that level. The problem, I think, as much as anything, is around the Security Council and the veto that's there between, let's say, Russia and China, and we have a situation where China's coming out to back Russia, and they neutralise any ability to offer a stability in a situation like Ukraine. And I think that that that's where the weakness is. And in a way, that weakness that offers political stability undermines then what comes behind that is, is a food security issue that comes along with that. We're talking about Ukrainian grain. And that in itself, if then there's food insecurity, that in itself has a knock-on impact on, let's say, the ability to address environmental challenges in the world. So I think in a lot of ways, the, the, the issue in the UN around the, the Security Council and the position that Russia and, and China have, it underpins a lot of the the problems within the UN. On the other side, we shouldn't we shouldn't miss the point that the UN does <coughs> an enormous contribution in, in disaster relief, in humanitarian aid, in in developing countries, and that side of the UN plays a contribution that, frankly, no one else out there in the world is doing. Okay. So just we can't lose that. To, to but we need to address the Security Council side. Okay. Yeah, just go back to what Michael D. Hagan said. I mean, yesterday we had this big play of the role that Ireland had in terms of, you know, dealing with the uh, sustainable goals and whether or not we were going to be able to achieve their targets. I mean, they kind of undermined when the president of the country is coming out saying, you don't have quite a lot of credibility anyhow. I think the, the, the organisation ha has credibility and I think certainly... like Is that the, difficult though for the Taoiseach and the Tanisha today? The president of their country that they're representing is saying this institution they're getting, they're getting, they're getting is not credible. They're getting used to it. <laughs> <laughs> do you, you, do, do you do wonder, like, the, the, the role of the president, like, 
a, like at the end of the day, I don't know that he should be necessarily getting as politically involved, although it is on a world stage, which I think is less of the politics of the country. And I think certainly, look, he's entitled to his opinion. But I, I think we need not to be careful. We need to be careful. In fairness to me, he's making a generalised point and there's ballast to what he says. Yeah, there is. There is. Know, I think on the security right. side, we need to address it. But we shouldn't lose sight of the positive stuff they're doing in the humanitarian business. OK, we have to leave that there for now. My thanks to Colin Markey and Mick Clifford and all of our guests. Our programme is available as a podcast if you want to hear it all over again. It's on all major platforms on TikTok, but from the, tonight, the MTV team here. Good night.